Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of Random Encounter. Uh, today, I'm your host, Greg Delmage, and I just wanted to talk with you all a bit before we get into the episode proper. So almost immediately, you're going to notice that the technical quality of this episode is a bit subpar, which, frankly, I'm embarrassed by, and I'm sorry that uh, just my unfamiliarity with the system we were using caused these issues, and I kind of took things for granted and just jumped into it without really understanding certain aspects of the program, mostly because how I wanted to record it didn't really work out for this episode we were on a tight time budget with the panelists. For the future ones, however, I will have the problems rectified, knowing now where the mistakes were made, and how to achieve recording at a much higher quality level that for future podcasts moving forward will be actually even better than those of the past. So thank you so much for your patience. It was a great conversation, which is why I didn't just scrap things outright. I did my best to clean up where I could, but you're going to very much notice where the mistakes happened and where the volume levels were screwed up by my part. That being said, I will give you a cookie if you can find out the exact moment where I realized I made a mistake. There will be a little bit of weird background audio here and there, and just uh, a lot of my breathing, and I apologize for that. Secondly, moving forward with the podcast, I'm uh, attempting to add in these little bumpers at the beginning of the episodes to fill you in on the latest news and features and everything that's going on at the website, just as a means to give it all to you in one quick condensed space that if you want to know what's going on at the website proper, you can find it here or just skip forward to to the episode. On that note, uh, let's get into it. First of all, feature-wise, you can check out RPG Fan's 60 Most Anticipated Titles of 2019. That three-part series has just gone up and definitely has a lot of good things to look forward to, some of which we're already uh, reviewing ourselves. Peter Treisenberg, who's on the podcast today, has done Kingdom Hearts A Beginner's Guide feature that uh, pretty well encompasses all things Kingdom Hearts that uh, we have had time to get into over the past 14 years while we have anxiously awaited the coming of Kingdom Hearts 3. Lastly, you can check out the Crowdfunding Chronicles by Tina Ula, her continuing review of up-and-coming Kickstarter projects that are have been funded or going to be funded that you uh, should anticipate. As far as reviews, we've got London Detective Mysteria, a nice visual novel reviewed by Audra, as well as Langrisser Mobile. Strategy RPG has made its return to the mobile platform, and Pete Leavitt got to that one. And then Bob has been all over the episodic adventure games. Uh, the Walking Dead Final Season, Episode 3, and Life is Strange 2, Episode 2 have both been reviewed by him, so check out those latest reviews. Over in the music department, Mike Salbato has brought us a review from Face My Fears, Hikaru Utara, and Patrick Gann has hit up Volume 2 of Final Fantasy XV's OST. And that, folks, is the latest and greatest going on at RPGFan.com. Now, on with Episode 158 of Random Encounter. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Random Encounter, episode 158. I am uh, one of your many hosts, Greg Dalmage, and I am joined by some of those other hosts, such as Kaylin Argyros. 
Hey guys, Leon Cazero, pretty much everywhere, but I'm sure you already knew that. <laughs> As uh, I'm sure many of us have who have been listening to this for ages, we have stolen him from his other podcasts and many other duties. It's Mike Solosi. Uh, it's really my only duty, that other podcast, but I'm happy to be here. I'm Mike Solosi, and I'm at The Real Monsoon on Twitter and some variation of Monsoon most places. And last but certainly not least, we have Peter Treisenberg, longtime friend of the podcast. Hi there, everybody. I'm a Peter Treisenberg. Uh, usually, I'm, I have Fury on social media, but right now, I have Crab Rangoons. Munch. Oh, where does one good. get Crab Rangoons? I, usually I at a major, Chinese restaurant, but I was in a major Chinese food mood on my way home today. So I can't blame you for that. I feel like I'm always in a Chinese food mood that I don't indulge in near enough. Although Annette did bring back home free set food from her film job, uh, and we got uh, a bunch of just like non-breaded turkey um, chicken balls, Ooh. or I guess turkey Ooh, balls, turkey chicken balls, go me. Anyways, uh, we're here now with the, the first episode uh, without our beloved Derek, and I'm hoping that uh, I can keep the ship righted uh, with the help of all these wonderful people today. So... Without further ado, let's get into talking about some games, because everyone says they've been doing well, and today, February 1st, marks uh, a big demo of Anthem, which Caitlin and myself have been playing. Today, at least, was it the same last weekend, Caitlin, where you can only play starting at level 10, going just from level 10 to 15? Yeah, it's the same demo. So the weekend before this open demo was a VIP demo for people who pre-ordered, uh, people who had Origin access or EA access, or got a code from a friend who had access. Uh, it's the exact same demo, so the same story mission, you start at level 10, the max level is 15, I think. Um, you also get to do one of the Stronghold missions, which is like Anthem's version of the Strike missions from Destiny, um, because Anthem is, no matter what Bioware says, Anthem is very kind of destiny like sure is you can uh, um, yeah you can tell what market they're trying to corner <laughs> yeah at this point they really shouldn't try to hide it anymore because it's it's was as clear as it was before the demo it was incredibly clear after i played it that yeah this is bioware's version of destiny which could be okay maybe yeah it has promise people, people like destiny and i like parts of destiny frankly if if it has a better story than Destiny, which is probably not hard. If, it's, if, it, if, it, if the shooting is as good as Destiny and the, you know, the sort of loot hunt gameplay loop is as good as Destiny, then those are things to be proud of. But yeah, with, with a, a Bioware game, you want that Bioware story and characters to match how good the gameplay is, hopefully. But uh, p people seem to be a little, uh, I don't want to say confused, like, but like a little sort of whelmed by, by this, uh, by this beta, neither overwhelmed nor underwhelmed. They just, they, they just sort of wish there was more game in this version of it. And then there's, of having... course, n navigating that flowchart of whether you're allowed to play it right now or not. <laughs> Weren't they having some, like, really bad, uh, server issues, um, when the demo launched, too? I heard that, yeah. The VIP <laughs> weekend was, sure, yeah. was really, really bad. It was kind of embarrassing. Well, yeah. Wow, this, this game's out in a month. <laughs> yeah. The good news is I jumped on very, very briefly before we started recording to check, and one of the biggest issues that I had uh, last weekend, they seemed to have resolved. It was the dreaded 95% loading bug where you would load after getting into the sort of 
the hub where you can talk to people, Fort Tarsus, and you would pick a game mode and you would load into that and then it would freeze at like 95%. That seems to have been resolved. I didn't have any trouble loading in on either PC or PS4 when I tested earlier today. And I had no so, issues myself today either. So it seems like they've, they've nipped that in the bud. Um, I haven't had enough time to check some of the other uh, technical glitches like enemies popping in and out um, to see if that has been resolved. I kind of suspect maybe it hasn't. But yeah, it, there were a lot of problems in the, the first weekend, which marred the experience, I think, for a lot of people. I managed to, to get in and do some uh, some things, and I when it worked, I liked the gameplay well enough. I was playing with a buddy uh, pretty much the whole time, and it was fun flying around and setting up combos and shooting bad guys. The Stronghold, in particular, was a ton of fun. That was awesome. I want more of that. That's the mine, right? Yeah, Tyrant Mine with the, there we go. the the boss fight at the end against the gigantic spider. Oh, that sounds neat. I hadn't gotten that far yet. I only did myself two... Uh, I was doing the the Matthias mission and following through that. And yeah, it's... Well, I, first thing, like, the game is stunning to look at. I'm really impressed with its design from the ground up. So it has that going for it. But uh, jumping into the mission... Uh, like, it feels very, very Destiny with, like, little hints of, like, Monster Hunter-ishness. But mostly, I find sitting over on the Destiny side. So I don't know if it's one that I'll completely be grabbed by myself. But getting into the missions, uh, I found it a bit overwhelming just trying to follow along with what was going on. Because if you're with people who already know the lay of the land and clearly know the how to play, they really just like blast off and start going. And I'm just like, guys, how do I fly? So I found that was a little jarring to try and follow around what was happening with the HUD and everything. And then... They do have that nice feature where if they get into things further into the story of the mission, you get automatically teleported to it. But it can also be a little jarring. But it does try and keep the group together, which is nice. Does that does that mean you miss hearing dialogue? You can hear it from a distance. Like, you can hear it as happening. Um, and But it, it, I feel like I missed a thing or two during the loading screen. And that, I found, was a potential issue. I, yeah. I like what they're trying to do with keeping the group together but yeah it's it was a little like wait what happened what did i miss what are you looking at what triggered this so yeah. that got a little um confusing so i, I actually i missed the very beginning of the stronghold uh mission my friend and i loaded in i guess it was the first objective kind of area but we missed the opening the introduction so we didn't have the context about what was going on interesting yeah because i like the fact that they let you that you can jump in and out, but yeah, it seems they would do you a disservice to the story if, if that's the way it goes for everything. Whereas you feel like they would try, they should try and pair you up with someone who's just starting. Yeah, I wonder. Um, it's possible that I missed it because the UI is not super awesome. <laughs> it's it's a bit clunky. I don't know if maybe they have an option like in fourteen where you can uh, join in progress. So that if you have that selected, then you could like, get loaded into something in the middle of it. But if you have it unselected, then you always are starting fresh. That would be a good idea. I would agree. If you don't already have something like that, especially for missions that have characters and story and whatnot, so that you're not missing things. Yeah, because that's rather important. Although, that being said, I think there was one of the feats. Because feats are something that you get uh, by just accomplishing certain parameters during the mission of like, killing X amount of bad guys and stuff like that. And it gives you bonus experience. And I think one of the feats was you help complete a mission that's already in progress that you, you've joined. Yeah. I think it was one of them. So I feel like that's a thing they're trying to encourage. But I, I feel like 
for people who want to have a pure experience from start to finish, I'd say it's in their best interest to put something like they had in 14 in. But yeah, did you play with any of the other javelins? I've only just played with the base one, which I think is a ranger. Was the one you start with? So I unlocked the Colossus first. That's the tank. Snazzy. It's gigantic. It has a big shield that it actually holds in front of it instead of like a, an energy barrier that the others have, I suppose. And then I very, very briefly, when I was testing today to see if the technical issues were still there, I checked out the storm. Oh, very cool. Um, that's the one that's more elemental based. Yeah, it's it's the mage, I guess, of the yeah. four javelins. It throws a lot of, like you said, a lot of elemental attacks and has big, really impressively pretty explosions. I have to say, <laughs> in general, the game doesn't look exactly like it did when they revealed it, obviously. Foliage isn't, at least in the area that we've been able to explore uh, in the demo, it's not as dense. There's, It's not quite as, like, holy crap as it was in the review. Yeah, it doesn't seem as much as, like we're in as full of a jungle. Yeah, and I mean, again, um, they clearly corral you into this one area, so maybe it's in a different area. But yeah. I'd be surprised if it's just, hey, this was a reveal trailer that's meant to look super awesome, but we obviously can't push it that far in the real thing. Um, but the mm -hmm. explosion certainly looked impressive, like in the reveal, thinking, wow, that looks big and bright and beautiful and they still kind of really do look big and bright and beautiful so that at least as a matter of particle effects they're they're doing a good job there and the enemy designs are really neat too like i i can't remember the names of them because it's the same sort of thing that i feel like we're just jumping in in the middle so there's not a lot of context so i feel like i'm not retaining a lot of the information of who these creatures are but i find the enemy designs are super fascinating to to fight is it like like destiny where all the factions kind of blend together um it, it seems like that right now a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and I'm hoping that will get rectified if you start from the beginning, because otherwise, yeah, you're just like, there's the, the guys with like the laser pistols, and there's the ones that are kind of tribal, and there's the, the ones that are... Yeah, it's I would rather them actually have a different mythos. There's, yeah. like, no story context in this demo. Right. You, you don't even get a cutscene when you load in. You just start in somewhere in Fort Tarsus and you, you talk to Matthias to do this quest, but there's no greater story context. There's no sort of like, hey, I'm a freelancer and I freelance stuff. You just know that you're... Basically, you get the Pokemon choice at the beginning of, are you a boy or a girl? And then you go. <laughs> <laughs> Your starter Pokemon is always the ranger. Yes, the yellow one. What well, yellow I... ranger? Huh? Sorry. The <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sentai is here. Everybody run. Um, how, how is the flying? Um, because I see I see a game where you fly around in an Iron Man suit, and I am curious. It feels like you're flying like Iron Man. That is, I, I was trying to put my finger on it. Now that you said, it, I'm like, that's what it is. It looks like trying to fly like Iron Man, like the the jets on like the back, like your thighs. Nope, calves. That's the part of the anatomy I'm looking for. The calves and like your hands are what steer you. Is what it feels like. So it feels a little um wavy for lack of a better term but it still feels tight yeah. but it's still like it's an adjustment like you it's not perfect flying it's not like you're in D D with a fly speed of 11 like you've got like a, a six so you it's a little janky but you have to work with it uh but it's not problematic it just feels real like it feels like there's weight to it and it's not unlimited you eventually hit overheat allow games like MechWarrior and stuff like there seems to be a heat sink kind of factor to it and then once you overheat you kind of have to hit the ground Willingly or not. I don't think there's fall damage. Yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't notice myself either. Which is nice. I think it would be 
it would feel even more annoying with the overheat mechanic if you were punished for not landing before your jets cut off because yeah and that would make the learning curve a lot harder too. it's true although yeah, the comedy of watching these suits eat dirt all the time would be super funny <laughs> yeah and i mean they encourage you to use this in combat uh yeah particular, like the storm in particular that that javelin uh your shields are boosted when you're hovering so you are encouraged to be in the air as much as you can like as soon as your jets cool down you want to be back in the air and it hummers longer too right that one yeah it has longer hovering because that's part of its whole mechanic which is nice I saw one person playing with that, and it looked really badass. It does. It looks super <laughs> badass. Their, their whole moveset looks super badass, so I want to play around more with that class. Um, originally, in the VIP demo, you would unlock your choice of uh, the other three javelins at level 12, and then that was it. Towards the end of the demo, they unlocked uh, all of them, and now I don't know if it's everybody or if it's just the VIP players, but now at least... VIP players get to uh, to have all four javelins unlocked during this demo period too, so you can try it out. I would hope that they did that for everybody because I think that'd be a good experience. Um, I agree. Yeah, give everyone a taste of everything, even if it's not like the premium version of that javelin. At least you get a t taste of them all. Yeah. Because I imagine you get to upgrade them and stuff as you go. Um, which, speaking to that, sorry, were you going to say, Caitlin? Oh well, I was going to mention briefly that I think the flying. Oh, right. gotten used to it now, and I like it better than I did when I first tried it, but it was a little awkward at first, and I think it was simply because, sort of like what you were saying, it didn't control the way I was expecting. In every game where you can either sprint or you, you can fly, you've kind of been conditioned to think the left analog stick controls your direction and the right analog stick controls the camera. But not in this. It's, it's almost the opposite here where where the camera is pointing directs where you fly and that takes that took me a little bit of time to get used to. But definitely does contribute to that whole Iron Man feel because yeah. sort of how Iron Man flies is he points himself in a direction and goes for it. So. That's true. It sounds kind of like there was an old space sim called Freelancer. Yeah. The ship followed your mouse cursor. Are we in love now? Can we be best friends now, Peter? I think I think we just became best friends. <laughs> that, game, that game was incredible. Yeah, I loved the junket of the game, aside from its weird scaling. But that's another story. We'll talk about that now that I know. Uh, but speaking about Freelancer, it, yeah, it does have that kind of that feel for sure. And my follow up to Caitlin though, did you play this flying mechanic after playing a whole bunch of Ace Combat? <laughs> Well, yes. <laughs> not not immediately after, but I had been playing Ace Combat 7 relatively uh, soon before, before I started playing the demo, so that probably also really messed me up. Would really skew your expectation of just like, this is going to fly like a performance jet. Nope, flies like a dude in a suit. I have to invert my, uh, my Y-axis controls in every yeah, game absolutely. to be like a flight. Uh, like a flight stick because I've been trained on ace combat. Ditto. People who don't, I think, are monsters. But that's another story. Yeah, it's... it's... <laughs> it is bizarre. Every time my p uh, partner takes over playing something, um, if she was, happened to be playing it on my account, she's like, I don't get this. How does this work? Why? And I'm like, oh, I'll go and invert it. And anyways, it's... Or uninvert it, rather. And it's just bizarre to me that people don't do that. Um, speaking to... Mike was mentioning the loot, hat, loot hack aspect of it. I like the fact... Uh, I don't know if it's different if you do like the expeditions and stuff, Caitlin, if you've done any of those, but you don't seem to really know what loot you get till the end of the mission, which I kind of prefer. 
Yeah, seems like you pick it up and you know the rarity of it. Yeah. You can even, you can look in your, it, the menu for this is trackers, I guess. So this is a really weird name for your inventory, but whatever. Oh yeah, um, I was wondering what the heck that meant. You can look at it, but you don't see what it is until you end the expedition and then it shows you everything you got. And that, I think that's, see, it's one of two things though. On the one hand, it's good because that means um, you can't, sit around mid-mission and equip new stuff and, you know, potentially waste someone else's time yeah. to keep going. Or miss out on stuff. Yeah. On the other hand, it, it means, as far as like we can tell right now, you are forced to go back to Fort Tarsus if you want to switch out your equipment. Unless you want to quit the mission and go back to Fort Tarsus to change something else, you're stuck with it. Yeah. So, it's kind of weird. I, I wonder... They may very well be doing this because the demo is an older build, um, or perhaps they will implement it in the future. But um, it'd be nice to maybe have like a, a, a Mass Effect Andromeda kind of system where you would have waypoints throughout the uh, the world map or whatnot, where you could re-equip something something like a, a mid a mid ground between letting people just freely re-equip whenever, and then forcing them to go back to an entirely different area and all the time that that entails in order to change equipment. Yeah, that I think that could definitely help that problem. Because, yeah, there are times where you're just like, oh, this gun does not function like I thought it would, or I just don't like the feel of it, and then you're relegated to just using one of your two weapons. Because you get a primary and a backup, as with most things, and it, it took me a little bit to figure out how to swap out guns and stuff. Most of the controls are pretty intuitive, but it definitely took me a few to kind of figure out how everything jived in this game. And you also have powers, which are assigned to the bumpers if you're playing with controller. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And speaking to the explosions, I had like the, mm -hmm. the Seeker missile one. And yeah, that's super satisfying when you unleash that because it starts picking up a bunch of targets and then basically you hit R2 and then like a bunch of missiles go out and just like pepper the countryside and it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's big and beautiful and <laughs> I probably didn't use it often enough. I should have been a little less conservative with it but it's fun so. it definitely made liberal use of it in this last mission it was doing because i was playing it on hard and like the entire team was down and this one guy uh uh kited the enemies around a whole bunch and like was off on his own when like the four of us were all down and then managed to come back and revive all of us which then let us go splinter off and revive the others and then we managed to make a comeback and actually succeeded but there was lots of missiles flung at this big stupid four-legged missile boat thing that was just demolishing us if you weren't behind a rock oh i know that mission yeah it was after matthias uh splits and you have to yeah it has a lot of hp yeah it's it's tough and then there's all those those big guys with the shields and and it's kind of plays like um again i feel like destiny's like that and Halo 2, where like you kind of look for the weak spots on different enemies to get critical hits, so that, that's not simply just like hitting the thing in the face. You kind of have to use tactics to get around and maneuver. Like I had ice grenades for that mission, which made it handy to get around behind some things. And you're saying there's combos, which I haven't had a chance to ex to exploit, but I hear that's a cool thing. Yeah, they didn't really. Um, it's the, again, the problem I think with this demo being set mid-game, I assume that the early game will actually tutorial you uh, through this. It's, it's pretty much like Mass Effect 3 and Andromeda, where you have some moves that prime enemies for combos, and then other moves that detonate, but the game doesn't, like, point it out to you, the, rather, the demo doesn't point it out to you. Um, the game doesn't tell you about that, and I wouldn't be surprised, um, especially if you're not super 
expecting that. Um, you know, to know that combos are a big thing. You probably are just you're just using your powers whenever they're off cooldown and whenever you need them. And yeah, if you happen to get a combo, oh, cool. But uh, but yeah, you can do that, and that can that can uh, lead to some insane uh, damage uh, totals. And apparently. Uh, every javelin has a different thing that they do when they detonate a combo. Oh, cool. For instance, I think the ranger, when they detonate, they then deal uh, increased damage to the target. Um, whereas, like, say the interceptor, the really speedy one, when they detonate a combo, they gain an aura, and whenever they approach an enemy, that enemy then gains the effect of that aura. So it's interesting. It'll be interesting to play around with different javelins throwing different combos to to various different effects on enemies. Yeah, that is kind of neat. But it is weird that they didn't really, like, you had so many tutorials I found walking around Tarsus for everything you did, every person you looked at, and every menu you opened. And then, yeah, once you got into combat, it's like, good luck! Yeah. It's weird. I mean, like I said, I think the core combat is fun. Um, the strongholds are fun. I think... It looks pretty enough. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously, it doesn't quite look like the reveal, but it looks good. It does. So it's just kind of a weird thing that they dropped you in the middle with no context, and the UI is kind of clunky, and obviously they were having technical issues. So it wasn't really probably the best look for a game that uh, a lot of people are already on the fence about. Yeah, it wasn't a great showing for it. Some things, though, that I did like, in Fort Tarsus, you can talk to people. Right now, only a few of them. I was going to say, how much did you love going up to somebody and them just having staring at you blank face and just being like, this is not available in the demo? That was so, that was so weird. Like, why do we even have the option right? to press A there if it's going to say, this is not in the demo? Is it so hard to take away the prompt, I guess? I don't know, but I, it's I funny. Know. It's weird, yeah. But some of them you can talk to and have conversations, and your freelancer does talk. Yeah. Obviously, you can choose their voice. In you the get choices. Game, you get to you'll get to pick uh, different uh, appearances for them too. Which I don't know how that's going to factor in though, because all the conversations in the in demo are in first person. They are, and you do get choices in the conversations as well to kind of. I don't know what those influence, if anything, or it's just your own personal taste for how you want to respond to things, which is usually a. Yeah, I'm gung ho. Response to a eh, I could care less kind of response seems to be the two choices I found mostly. Yeah, it's like either a nice response or a f you response. <laughs> yeah. So interesting. Uh, so it's definitely kind of a dumbed down dialogue system, but I'm actually really I was surprised in a good way that that's even in there because I my first thought when they revealed this game and we all kind of knew it was Destiny was that it wasn't going to have. I thought that we weren't going to talk. I thought that we weren't going to have any dialogue, even though it's Bioware. I just kind of assumed that they were going to sort of take the Destiny style and run with it. Right. And yeah, I'm kind of happy that our character talks is actually kind of mouthy and has dialogue choices. And I don't know yet. It seemed like, um, especially with the bartender, it seemed like my dialogue choices influenced his story. Oh, yeah, I did get to that, too, myself. Uh, yeah. Maybe, yeah, because you're... I haven't gotten too further into his story. I've just met him and his whole dating issue with the married woman. It seemed like what I told him might have changed what happened in his story. I'd have to test it more and see like if that's actually the case. But if it is, that's kind of an interesting thing and different from what Bioware sometimes does with their games where they, they have a set loop and you can pick different responses and the character will respond in a certain way to that one response but then always go to the next 
item on the conversation agenda no matter what, no matter what you say. Mm -hmm. So this could be interesting if you actually do have a greater influence on, on future conversations. That would be really neat. Well, before we move on, Peter, Mike, do you have any other thoughts on this yourself? Did you, were you planning on picking up the demos yourselves or do you have too much on your plate? <laughs> uh, I have more than enough on my plate in <laughs> games for the podcast, the other podcast and uh, the new releases I have playing. And plus I, I don't have a lot of faith in Bioware right now since the, I mean, the last time I really enjoyed one of their games was over four years ago. So I'm perfectly content letting the people get all over the Anthem demo and for multiple reviews to come out and for me to take all that in before I think about mm. really getting invested. But, uh, I mean, at, at least people are finding things to like so far, and that's promising enough. That, yeah. You know, I'm not going to dismiss all of it, but, I mean, when was Bioware last Bioware for you? It's... Uh, did anyone really like Andromeda two years ago? It's okay, but it's definitely not the trilogy. Yeah, because Caitlin, you revisited it recently, you had said, after our podcast that we did for Retro, I think you were going into it. Yeah. And yeah, that was the last time I jove in was Mass Effect 1. I liked it well enough, but um, yeah. You have a point. <laughs> Departure from, from Mass Effect 3, and, and well, Mass Effect, all Mass Effect before that. If this ends up being a Titanfall, Destiny, sci-fi, epic, worthy of uh, good Bioware writing, then that's awesome, but I... I'm in wait-and-see mode with Anthem, which is, you know, I, I want all games to be good, so of course I hope this is good, people love it, and I get excited to play it after other people have played it, but right now I am totally uh, just, you know, observing it and not really engaging it. So you're saying you're not going to play it on day one, which could be on February 15th if you have early access to the full game on Origin Access Premier, or day one on February 15th for 10 hours only, though, if you have Origin Access and EA Access. Okay. Or <laughs> EA, EA, sit down, and I, I, need, I need you to understand that we, do not, we should not have to have a part to understand when your video game comes out. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the the chart, I know they've been getting lambasted on it, and like I appreciate that they were trying to just clear up what it is, but it just, the fact that they had to make a chart means it's too convoluted. Yeah, you know what would clear this up? There's, it's, uh, if, what is it, it's um, five different types of demo or release, and then six types of purchasing options or access options, which is, I mean... <laughs> Like you said, it's ludicrous. Why is it this complicated at all? Like, what would clear this up? What would clear this up would be releasing the game on one, you know, date. Exactly. You know, it's this is like the Battlefront 2 thing all over again. We're like, oh, you better have bought the Deluxe Trooper Edition so you can play the game two hours early. Like, and I think I think this is my thing. I don't have, I don't, I'm not really, Anthem is not really going to be my thing. It's not something I'm probably going to play looks cool i really hope it ends up being good but more importantly i hope it succeeds because oh man ea has been uh, in dire straits lately in terms of their complete misuse of the star wars license how do you fail to make money with the star wars license uh, uh, they found a way i'm not gonna shed any tears for ea because they still have fifa and i'm Madden. not oh, i'm not shedding i'm not shedding tears for ea i'm just like i am baffled by their inability to make a product that people want right now and yeah, if they have bioware the fact, and they have star wars people should want to play those things but and instead I mean, it's like the opposite and the fact that bioware might be on the chopping block for this i'm not trying to like go to the worst case scenario it could mean bad things yeah i'm i'm, I'm honestly this this whole thing kind of reminds me of 
this is a not EA, but um, the Scalebound situation where, like, you had this massively ambitious game being pushed by a publisher that was given to a developer that does not make this kind of game on this scale and didn't even make it out of the game. It got canceled. I don't think that... And obviously, and I, obviously, I think... I don't know. I don't. I think there's a situation where a publisher wants to, to trend. Bioware is making the thing dutifully, and if it doesn't perform as well as they're expecting, this could be really bad for the studio. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, which is unfortunate. It is unfortunate. This industry sucks. <laughs> it's you hear it here first, folks. This industry sucks. <laughs> Hot take. In the counter. You can quote you. Peter Treisenberg. <laughs> uh, no, for real. For real. I, I really do hope the game does well. It looks good. It's, it's very cool. promising. I'm not like mad about it or anything. It's just like I I just hope it I hope it does well because I want Bioware to keep making games for people. Mm-hmm. And maybe get the faith back that they can build their own stuff from the ground up there on their own kind of thing. Yeah, maybe like, they can finish. Dragon maybe Age. Can... <laughs> Dragon Age time, right? Yeah. I'm very excited for untri- Untitled Dragon Age game TBD. <laughs> It's going to be potentially so good, maybe. It's like how you can pre-order new Dragon Ball Z action RPG projects from Amazon right now. And it's just like, that sounds dicey. That's like them trying to do a Kickstarter without doing a Kickstarter. I think that's the one that they just announced that's tentatively called Project Z, but we don't know a ton about it, right? It, it is It is called, like, um, Project Dragon Ball Z action RPG or something. Yeah, very on the nose. Very, very much so. I mean, it looks the two seconds of footage they showed looked really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caitlin, did you get into this? By the way, you, was it from a code that someone gave you, or did you already buy? Uh, have you bought this for early access and are going to be playing it day one? Uh, I actually subscribed to Origin Access last summer because uh, thirty dollars a year for uh, access to a lot of games that I didn't have. A lot of them. It was partly because um, I had recently gotten my gaming rig and I wanted to play a lot of games that I had like on my consoles. Uh, stuff like the Mass Effect series and Dragon Age and all of those games were on Origin. So it's like, instead of buying them on Steam, I'll just, I'll subscribe here. So That makes sense. So yeah, so day one, I guess you'll get it on February 22nd. You'll be able to play it. I, yes. Because this basic is, yeah, you need, I guess the, no, no, basic, you'll get it on, you'll get the trial on the, for 10 hours. Caitlin has to check the chart and maybe get a calculator out and th- th- there's a process. There is. Carry, carry the one. This is like figuring out a kingdom heart title. Maybe find your, old, your like old Algebra 2 textbook from high school. Oh, I burned that thing. I'm sorry. Uh, I hope it's called Algebra Origins. Actually, no. I burned my geometry textbook because screw that class. <laughs> on that great note uh you can play some uh anthem i guess whenever you get access to it depending how it is whether it's on the 15th or on the 22nd when it comes out for uh every regular joe <laughs> we should move along to some stuff that Solosi's been playing which got for us um oh shoot for the past couple of weeks i have been playing tales of vesperia definitive edition which came out in mid-january uh that that thing came out on the basically all the platforms is for Xbox One, Switch, PC, but I've been playing on PS4. Alana reviewed it on Switch, so... How is it on PS4? It's very good on PS4. Everything runs a very smooth 60 FPS. The visuals and the audio come in crystal clear. There's a Japanese and uh, English language audio that you can toggle. One big complaint is that they, for the portions of the game that were not in the original 360 release, because this is, I should say, um, 
the game came out in 2007, 2008 on Xbox 360 originally. Yeah. And then there there was a PS3 version that came out only in Japan a few years later, and that PS3 version had a bunch of new content, including one and a half new playable characters. <laughs> yeah. Flynn, Flynn is a half. Flynn counts as half because you only get to use him in one or two fights in the original version, and then in the PS3 version, he became fully playable after around the half away point of the game. And plus, there's a new character, Patty Fleur, who's ex- who was exclusive to PS3. This new uh, definitive version, definitive edition, has all of them, all the PS3 content available in this new version, plus a bunch of costumes and stuff that was DLC, etc., available from uh, Baked In. And but but one co- complaint that I've seen a lot is that the content that was not in the 360 release that was added for PS3 or later has newly recorded audio that doesn't use all the original voice actors. So it's a little jarring hearing like voices changed in the middle of certain cutscenes. Oh, weird. Um, it's, it's because Troy Baker and a few others are too expensive, so they had to use soundalikes. I'm surprised they didn't just re-record it all then. There's a lot of dialogue, mm. a incredible amount of dialogue, including uh, over. I think over 150 optional uh, sketch scenes where it's just sort of talking heads at each other. There's there's a lot of dialogue in most Tales games, and Vesperia is a sort of larger budget t- Tales of game from 10 years ago, so re-recording all of it, I'm sure, would have been a huge time and money investment that they said not to do. It was, it was honestly, it's kind of amazing that they did voice all the skits in the 360 version, because previous Tales games, they specifically, they skipped out on doing that, probably to save money. Yeah, on the GameCube version of uh, Symphonia and the PS2 version of Abyss, they did not do that. Yeah. It was really awkward in Abyss because they just didn't talk at all. You didn't hear any voices. Yeah, for both for both of them, it was unskippable dialogue, too. So you would just see the text and talking heads talk at each other with lengthy pauses <laughs> for every line of dialogue. It's not like Zestiria or Zillia when they, where they are fully voiced. But um, during skits, you can, you know, press X or A to sort of allow to, to skip lines of dialogue. You would, like, have to have a read-only silent cutscene that lasted a full minute <laughs> for for the skits in some of the old, those older games. But they're fully voiced in uh, Tales of Vesperia Definitive Edition. And without going into spoilers too heavily, um, Vesperia is sort of a... The story is sort of in three acts. And I am early in Act 2. So I have, I have uh, six... Uh, six or seven characters in my party. Most of the uh, in Act One, they sort of slowly introduce all of the game's systems and special moves and whatnot. So I have most of what I can do at my disposal. I'm maybe uh, shoot between 15 and 20 hours in, and I'm having a lot of fun. Never play the original? Oh, I did. Yeah, I played it on. I never. I didn't own a 360, but I had my friend's 360 for about a year when he uh, um, briefly uh, temporarily moved to Germany. So I used. The, that year to play all of Vesperia and a little bit of Dead or Alive 4, and that was probably it. <laughs> I, I, of his whole 360 collection, I played Dead or Alive 4 and bought my own copy of Vesperia to play on his machine. Seems like a good use time. Yeah, it was, it was, it was alright. Um, <laughs> uh, that was, oh, it had to have been at least... It, Vesperia had been out for a while by then, so it, it was probably seven or eight years ago, and, but it's been long enough that I'm happy to replay it uh, because... This is a very shiny, good version of the game, and it's one of the best Tales games, I think, full stop. 
That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, it's just it, you can notice the difference between the two. It was worth dropping a definitive edition for the 10th year anniversary. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been 10 years. The game was available on only one console before, and having it available on all the current machines with all the new content that was not available outside Japan before. This is the timing is good, and I think this is a game that a lot of people were, are excited for. So. Yeah, just thumbs up for me for both what the game is and the timing of the release. And I'm having a lot of fun. Like I'm, I, I'm playing it mostly in the, with the Japanese audio on because I mean, I, 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 I figured I would probably find the voice changes jarring, and I didn't know the Japanese dub. So this is yeah, sure, why not? And did um, you spoil yourself on any of the extra content prior to this back in the day when you didn't think there was going to be one? And or are you like pleasantly surprised now by the odd scene that you're like, oh, I didn't see this before? I mean, spoiling on the new content. That's I don't think would even constitute spoilers. The the new character is a sort of a, a reference to several past tales characters. Um, she's connected to the pirate Eifried, who is a, a mentioned NPC in almost every Tales game. And she's similar to Chat from Tales of Eternia, who's also a little pirate girl with a uh, connection to Eifried. So um, Patty Floor is she's right on the on the cover of the game. She was to advertise as sort of the biggest piece of new content in the PS3 version. And I, I don't mind them adding a new playable character that just adds more gameplay variety. This is a good cast. If anything, like um, Tales of games, their diverse and amusing casts are a plus, and this is a better than average Tales cast. I really like. It. Nice. I've only dabbled briefly with Tales of Symphonia myself, so, um, and I think I have one in my Steam library somewhere, I can't remember what the heck game it is right this second, now that I think yeah, about I'm, it. I'm a bit of a Tales fan. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I, I think Vesperia is one of the really good ones, and Symphonia is, like, sort of uh, average or above average. Like, if, if I were to divide the Tales series in half, I think um, Vesperia would be in, like, the top third, and the Symphonia would be in the middle third. But Vesperia is a really good one. I mean, it has all the Tales highlights. There's a bunch of made-up words for magic and uh, certain, and a, a some form of oppressive government or threat that with and characters with different ideals and different goals clashing and arguing all the time. Story checks out. Yeah, and if anything, the thing that is maybe the highlight of Vesperia's cast is that the main character Yuri is not a spiky-haired, uh, plucky teenager. He's a um, he he's a man in his twenties who's very who's sarcastic and jaded and determined to sort of work outside the law. He's, he's a little bit more, more roguish and, and more badass than many Tales protagonists, which, and, but not to the extreme level of Velvet in Tales of Berseria, who's her own you know, special flower, <laughs> you could say. If, um, if I were to turn this discussion back to Bioware, like, Tales of protagonists are overwhelmingly Paragon, and Yuri is 100% Renegade. <laughs> Uh, and Caitlin, you played the original, I think, from the sounds of it. Is that what you were saying? Yes, yeah. Excellent. It was actually my first Tales game. Ooh. So I started with a really good one. But my first Tales game was playing Fantasia around 2001 or 2002. And for a long time, Berseria, I'm sorry, Vesperia was the really good one on 360 that everyone liked, but I couldn't play because I didn't have a 360. <laughs> so I, but, so I, I, played the, I played the original a couple years after it came out, but I liked it then, and near the middle of the game now, I still really like it. Peter, you done? Have you done Tales? Is that a thing for you? No, it's it's not a thing for me. Um, I am curious about this area, though. All the the love I'm seeing for it, kind of want to try it. It's it's a very normal Tales game. It uses the uh, the sort of TP, which is their their version of MP uh, based combat that was the highlight of the series, or no, not the highlight, was a signature to the series for its first 15 or 20 years. They've been experimenting with Tales of Combat with the most recent three or four games in the series, but like Vesperia is a mostly traditional Tales game with, you know, action and story highlights that would 
fit into any generation of Tales, but it has a really good cast and a really good main character. Uh, I think either Alana or Steph told me on a Retro Encounter podcast, when, when they do Tales of character polls to determine the most popular characters in the series for Japanese fans, Yuri was finishing at the top so much they had to retire him from them. <laughs> yes, I remember that. Yeah, it was, it was Yuri, Leon, and I, uh, from Tales of Destiny, and I think one other character all got retired because they just kept winning too much. What ridiculous um, battle system did Bandai Namco come up with for Vesperia? Linear battle X cross. It's not. It's not the fusionic chain. No, one, f- but... fusionic chain is Asteria because that's where you fuse with your party members to become elemental versions of yourself. Peter, what have you done? You've started him on a path that we can't turn away from. Is <laughs> Vesperia is evolved flex range linear motion pedal system? What? The flex, because flex range was the one they introduced in Abyss with the free run, and this one is basically the Abyss system with some more tricks added to it. Just make an acronym, dear goodness. Yeah, they do, I feel they like do they do. Them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this one is EFR LMBS, which is awful. Yeah, it's all like of those, Square all Enix. All of those at this and said, "This is how we're going to name Kingdom Hearts games based off of this." Oh gosh, one hundred percent. How Square Enix picks the names for Kingdom Hearts games? Yeah, Tales of games have normal seeming names, but then just ridiculous names and systems within systems when you get to the combat. And Kingdom Hearts, they just let all the crazy right there on the title screen. Caitlin, are you going to dive into the Definitive Edition, or are you happy leaving it ten years ago? Oh no, I need to get pick it up. I've, I've been bad because I have too much in my backlog from Christmas, so I will I will get to it. I just I still have to decide if I want it on Switch or, or uh, PS4 or both. I may have to just double dip and get it on both. PS4 is 60 frames per second through and through on Switch. They go between uh, I think 60 in battle and 30 outside of battle. Yeah. And they and they also reduce the resolution a little bit when you go into handheld mode. Stand to decide uh, if the frame, if uh, I, I care about that 60 FPS everywhere. Yeah, you can find comparison shots online, and or ask Alana directly because she uh, reviewed it on Switch, and I think she's, I think she's on her new game plus right now, and she's probably going to beat the game twice before I finish the first time. <laughs> I saw that Twitter remark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that just, that's just earlier today. But it, this is like. It, whether you're a Tales veteran or just Tales curious, I think Vesperia is one of the really good ones, and this is probably the best way to play it. It comes recommended, but it has, I mean, it's a Tales game, so there's uh, weird systems in the combat and complete anime nonsense for a story, and characters that are sometimes a little tropey, but sometimes uh, really fun, and I think this is an above-average Tales cast. As well. well, that just dropped on January 11th. If you like Tales, pick that up. Uh, I still need to dive into Tales again and see if it's still my thing. And we are doing three episodes about Tales of Games in uh, February for uh, for a di- for a different <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Which one's that? Fun fact: if you if you're a fan of the Tales games, there is a slight percentile increase that you will eventually be on an episode of Retro Encounter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we're doing two two episodes on Ve- Tales of Vesperia in the end of February, and uh, one episode on. Tales series in general in early February for Retro Encounter. And uh, we've recorded one of those three, and it's, I'm really looking forward to recording the others. Excellent. Well, they're always, uh, Game Journal's always a good time, and it's always great when you like appreciate this series, as I think pretty much anyone who's on your Game Journals do, so it just makes it that much more enjoyable. Like, the episodes I've been listening to lately, like Suikoden, I was like, I've never heard anything about it, but just hearing how excited you're all out to play, I'm like, now I want to try this game. Moving along, I was going to ask Caitlin to talk about some Edge of Eternity, which uh, just came out of Early Access back in December 2018 from Midgar Studios and uh, published by Pladius. It was a Kickstarter success. Tell us about that, Caitlin, if you don't mind. 
Sure. So, Edge of Eternity. So it's been in development for quite some time. I think the Kickstarter was 2015. Would you say an eternity? An eternity. <laughs> in, in, in video game years? Yeah, kind of, I think, probably. I think, I think they announced it around the same time I joined the site, so I've been kind of like on the periphery, like, hey, this looks cool, we'd love to hear more about this. And then yeah. all of a sudden they started releasing all this new gorgeous-looking promo art, and I'm just like, well, okay then. Yeah. So, Midgar Studios is a very, very, very small studio uh they have i believe nine people uh, on their team and if you've seen any of the promo art promo shots for this game it doesn't look like a game that's made by such a small studio no it has like triple a looking graphics yeah i'm now blown much more blown away now so that's a that's a you know like wow like i can't it's hard to imagine frankly a much larger studio an indie studio uh besides putting out something that looks this good. And it's a very, I think, ambitious experience based on what I have played through so far. So Early Access is, it's not the entire story. It's about 10 hours worth of content, which I am about six or so hours into. So it's, you don't get everything based on what I've done so far. It's just like, you know, probably one chapter or so with side quests. But I think the potential is great based on the the setting and what we're doing in the story for this to, to be, depending on like how long of an adventure this is, it has the potential to be a big, beautiful world trotting adventure with interesting characters and fun combat and again coming from such a small studio it's really impressive so the world uh, of this game is uh it's it's ha- kind of has a traditional jrpg kind of feel to it and in fact the developers have said that this is supposed to be kind of like a love letter to the traditional jrpg experience Basically, these these hyper-advanced people show up in airships, and at first everything is cool, and they want to trade and whatnot, and then they want something that the people of the world are not willing to give, and it erupts into a full-scale war. And alongside this war is a mysterious disease called the corruption, or sorry, the corrosions, that is ravaging the land, uh, transforming... Uh, people and animals alike into these weird grotesque monsters that are part organic and part machine. No one I think knows really what's causing it or really how to cure it and then the main character's mother falls ill to this uh, corrosion and he and his sister set out to try and find a cure uh, for their mother and that's where the game starts with them beginning their journey to try and find uh, this cure. Um, and thus far, it's it's having that kind of humble sort of beginnings where you're just starting on an adventure and you're trying to find someone who might be able to help you. Uh, there's uh, the, the war against these uh, mysterious uh, advanced beings is kind of hyper-present in terms of like the dialogue text, but thus far they haven't made an appearance in the story. I presume that will come into play uh, down the line. But uh, it's, a, it's a good sort of setup. It has the potential for some interesting uh, developments, so we'll see where that goes. Um, but it's got that kind of, you know, like I said, it's, it does really kind of have that, has that feel of a classic setting off on an adventure, you know, to save someone and there's 
or there's various different forces at work that you're going to have to come up with uh, as you go. So I'm interested to see uh, how that develops. Um, obviously, the game looks super pretty. The graphics are uh, really nice looking. The lighting uh, is kind of, the bloom is really pretty uh, in various different places. And the environments uh, so far have been, have been nice. Um, one of them, the, the first environment's kind of a more closed off area, but eventually, um, very much like Xenoblade kind of, you eventually reach a much wider, massive area outside uh, a main city. And it's, it's interesting. It's kind of like, I mean, I just said Xenoblade. It kind of feels like they're kind of, they're trying to go for that kind of feel uh, with having a massive open area to explore. There's definitely that vibe. Yeah, right, right down to the, um, depending on like how aggressive your graphic settings are, the, the, the grass, the moving grass and, and, uh, and foliage kind of shifting back and forth in the wind and uh, running into enemies on the field and then transitioning into battles against them. And you got that and, uh, cyber sword on his back. Yeah, and with like, they all have like lights in different places that are like lighting up. Uh, it's, I think from what I can glean, they use crystals to power things. Um, so like they have big crystals in their, their settlements and then I guess their weapons also have crystals. Um, in Vesperia, which... those are called Blastia. Blastia, because, yeah. <laughs> because Tales games have to make up silly new words for magic with every entry. Yeah. It's like, is it, are they like Materia? <laughs> They're kind of actually, um, they remind me of uh, Orpments from the uh, Trail series. Okay. okay, maybe every JRPG loves having new made-up words. Yeah, I don't, I don't think this is specifically a Tales thing. <laughs> so yeah, your weapons, um, every weapon has a different sort of lattice of crystal slots that you can slot in crystals into. And the slots themselves, when you put crystals into them, give you stat boost, but then the crystals themselves can also give you stat boost, and depending on which character's weapon you're putting them into, they will unlock access to different skills and spells, uh, which is really similar to trails and how you would get your spells from putting in different orbments. So that's that's kind of interesting. It's It allows for some customization and different builds. I have yet to see necessarily if it goes any deeper than that, but you know, this is the beginning of a probably relatively lengthy experience. Combat. So combat's really interesting. It is in the vein of a traditional Final Fantasy uh, ATB system where everybody has a, uh, a time bar that progresses and when it's full they can do an action or they can start casting a spell. So that's very traditional and should, you know, anyone who's played game in that with that kind of system should feel, you know, right at home with how that works. But they add in a little bit of a strategy RPG feel to it um, because the battlefield is separated into these different hexagons called nexuses. There are uh, uh, some uh, battle armaments that you can use to fire like a ballista at the enemy uh, while you're in the nexus that that, uh, that ballista is located. So there's a bit of strategy involved with positioning and uh, some spells will t uh, affect uh, a specific nexus that you target. Some enemies have like charge moves that will blow through a couple of nexuses and you have to consider whether you want to use a turn to move your characters or just sit there and take it and keep wailing on them. So it's an interesting kind of uh, merge between two different sort of classic 
JRPG, SRPG systems, and I like I like the sort of innovation that they've 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 done here to sort of bring them together into one sort of system. So it's it's interesting. I'm looking forward to getting more characters in my party. I don't know if that's going to happen in the early access that we have thus far, or if that's going to be later on. But it looks nice. The basics, the core of the system, seem cool. It is uh, it is early access, so there's a lot of jank and glitches and things that aren't quite right. Um, there's typos. There's typos uh, at various different places in the script, places where they, they clearly have to go back and, and do load corrections. There's some pop-up going on in various different places during cutscenes um, while assets are loading that needs to probably be optimized. Some weird stuff occasionally going on with lighting. And I've a couple of times had a weird glitch where when I loaded into the game, I had two of the same character uh, in my party instead of two different characters. So, I mean, it's, you know, there's all the kinds of things that you would expect from a game that has been I mean, involved it, for a long time. And yeah, it's still it, it, it's, an early it's early access and not even beta, so yeah. <laughs> of the, you, you can forgive some mistakes here. This isn't Anthem, which is allegedly coming out in less than three weeks. Yeah, yeah. But and so... What they've got is really impressive. Look. Yeah. For a studio of their size and for it still being an alpha, it's, 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 it's I think, really promising. And I, I look forward to seeing... Uh, so they've mentioned that they'll keep rolling out more of the story. Um, they, they sort of like a TV series where you, you know, you'll get an extra episode after so while and they'll have the next chunk of the story. So we'll see as you know, they progress with more of that. I, they're already making adjustments based on feedback what they have right now and I'm assuming every iteration will be more refined and then when we get to beta and the final product I think it'll be something really cool to check out oh oh and it has some really good music by Yasunori Mitsuda some really yeah, the, good music the, fa the fact that they got Mitsuda for this project is it's amazing and he's doing some good work it's actually I is love he, is, is he is he part of a committee doing the music or is he the sole composer I'm not sure I want to think that he part of a group because some of the music doesn't sound like him but the battle music is definitely him I, I'm, I'm like 80 percent sure he was a stretch goal on their kickstarter <laughs> well still that i mean still still that's awesome i'm not trying to knock it but it's a uh, I, I mean i mean he's one of the industry legends that will you know get both eyebrows raised from from jrpg fans like us yeah but sort seriously like, it's sort really of like good Okada. It's really good, and like the battle themes are like I love Mitsuda, but usually he doesn't. His main battle themes are usually my least favorite in his soundtracks. I really like the battle themes. The boss battle theme is really good, so so I like it. I want to hear more, and I will. Uh, I'm obviously I'm going to be writing up some thoughts of about early access that will be on the site soon, and I presume if they keep rolling out more of these like you know episodes of story we'll probably have more impressions on the game as we see more of it oh they apparently also have gigantic cats that they use like horses i think to move i'm interested their carts <laughs> and whatnot it's like the great saber cat from dragon quest i'm in yeah i want one i really do you walk past them and you can hear them purring oh so. wow that sounds I'm delightful. These yep. seem these seem much more trainable and domesticated than 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 uh, traditional house cats. But I, I I mean I'm still interested. 
They said they were targeting a console release at some point. Obviously, that's probably a ways off. I'm definitely really interested in this one. What they, what little they've done so far looks really fantastic, and I hope when it turns out as good as they the team wants it to. to. Yeah. So far, it's off to a really good start. So if you are interested, you can, of course, check our coverage, but you can also, if you uh, have Steam, you can check it out, early access there yourself, and start your adventure. That sounds awesome. I guess we can move on to another Eden. Speaking of cats, the cat beyond time and space. Pseudo. Oh, yeah. That's also true. And the cat and Masato Pato have reunited. We can't complain for that, that's for sure. Yeah, Miss, uh, uh, you said his name, right? What was it? Masato Pato. He, he was the direct writer, direct Chrono Trigger and Cross. Yeah. Director of Cross. Correct. Um, he, he was a scenario writer on Trigger, so he, uh, so he yeah. wrote a lot of, like, scripts, but didn't do much story planning. That was mostly Yuji Horii. But he was the story architect and lead writer for Xenogears and Chrono Cross and a bunch of other good games. And also Sands of Destruction for DS. Yeah. Though we don't talk about one of those. <laughs> but uh, Xenogears and, and Chrono Cross are both major feathers in his cap, and they even they recycle the same plot twist with the save points, but whatever. <laughs> Can't complain for that. But yeah, Wright Flyer Studios uh, developed this one for mobile devices. It came out in Japan back in April 2017. But we finally got it here just this past January, and I've been enjoying it. Folks on rpg fan were talking about it and i just was like oh, i'll go pick this up and see what it's about and it is very much a love note to those games like chrono trigger and rpgs past right up there with uh punny lines and time travel um parallax i think world kind of exploration with the way the map moves around uh but it is primarily a side-scrolling rpg and then you jump into combat with your party which is where the in-app purchase aspect comes into play you can definitely get through the whole game free to play through the in-game currency but if you want to fast track and get into the gotcha aspect of getting uh, various party members to add to your your party that's where you'll be spending your money uh, i've gotten a good few hours into it and it basically just feels like playing an old jrpg it's very enjoyable very simple to dive in and out of and the various party members the combat i think is where it shines for sure i mean the story's compelling enough it's pretty standard find uh, you found a mysterious baby and oh now they're coming of age and now things happen you know the kind of thing we've all seen isn't that isn't that just how it works i thought that's how child rearing works <laughs> exactly you just find them and then when they turn 16 something terrible in the universe happens yeah. sometimes they fall from the sky after they turn 16 and then you can't help it now you're on a journey <laughs> i'm super stoked for uh, what that means for gwen's 16th birthday party for us um, that aside, if her hair turns blue, I would I would advise caution. Incendiaries <laughs> in Japanese RPGs are real events, not not just cookouts in the park. <laughs> Accurate. And uh, with this one, uh, you've got uh, yeah this brother and sister duo who hit their 16th birthday after the mayor, uh, who they refer to affectionately as Grandpa, found them 16 years ago. Uh, the older brother Aldo. Um, just turned 16, and he's a local city guard in his little village of, uh, we swear it's not Kronos' home, uh, but very much feels like uh, it's about Baoki, I think is the name of the town. I might be forgetting the name, but it feels very much uh, like 1080. Is that when Chrono was around? Somebody help me. Oh my gosh. I think 1080 was Chrono's time period, but it definitely feels like that. 
it starts off as your traditional fantasy RPG and then very much starts ramping into future times as you get pulled through a space-time uh, hole by a cat uh, that seems to trigger it. And then you kind of feel, you just that's when it opens up the whole mechanic of you can pull in different party members through the gotcha mechanic using uh, Chromium, what's it called, I think, uh, is the in-game in currency. And then you got all these different characters that you kind of throw into your parties, and you can you get a party of four, and then you get two that kind of sit in the back where they can go to heal, which is really neat. So as you're using your party, you can swat, switch characters in and out. And the real cool part about it is when you're switching them on the fly, as they come in, they trigger an ability, so it could be like a debuff on the enemy or a buff on the party. So that makes it really useful not only to put them in reserve where they will every single turn regain hit points and magic points, but it also will trigger something very beneficial once you bring them back into the battle. So I thought that was pretty neat. The I don't know, I'm always dubious about playing games, especially RPGs and some RPGs on phones, as we've had that discussion in the past on the podcast of what we do and don't like about playing on our phones. But this one plays really well. It's pretty seamless getting around the world and yeah, navigating the battle system by just clicking on a portrait, picking a skill, and then letting it go to town is all uh, very neat. Um, there's some voice acting that could leave a lot to be desired. That definitely feels very fan servicey, but otherwise, it's 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 pretty. It's, I find it's pretty tame as far as its fan serviceness aside. I mean, there's one character that's very obviously in terms of fan service, not so much in to the male gaze aspect of it, but more to this character is very obviously Tifa, but her name's Amy, but she punches people and wears a white t-shirt and has long black brown hair. <laughs> it's like mm. is her skirt quite as impractical no because she's actually wearing shorts and she has a bomber jacket over top so like it seems there's an inspiration i enjoy tifa as a character and i and i think that she's a sort of amusing example of ps1 polygons trying to shape an attractive women woman but i was always bothered that she has no freedom of movement with that mini skirt that does not make any sense for martial artists at all uh accurate (laughs) it's why her advent children costume was an improvement yeah her advent children costume looks great but man you no one can do anything in a miniskirt like that. That, that. that bothered me for... It has bothered me for decades. I can't even really run in a skirt like that. Right? No, anyways. Oh. Like, like, I, I mean, I accept the halter top, absolutely reject the miniskirt on Tifa. Okay, that, 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 sorry, that's my 20-year-old cross to bear. It's okay. I accept it. I accept it. But, yeah, so there's, there's obvious things like that. I mean, uh, you, you go in and then you pull out your characters, throw them in at a parties, and again, you have a lot of basic... Uh, classes like Aldo himself is, starts off being a, a warrior, and then every level you gain these attribute points that you put into basically exactly that, getting attributes. So the first level is a skill, then after that it's like plus two to luck, attack, yada, yada. But then as they go on, they level up into a different class, which just opens up different stuff, and that's kind of where the characters start to depart. So like two characters might both start out as being soldier, uh, sorry, warriors, but then one might divide off into being a soldier, whereas the other one might divide off into samurai or something so recruiting all these different characters and it seems like there's tons of them to choose from definitely opens up different ways of manipulating your party and different skills that they have at their beck and call and you can slot them into um a bunch of different party makeups so you can just kind of like you can have preset parties essentially that you can just kind of call up as opposed to having to swap them in and out so if you have if you have like your party of six you're like i like these ones to be for this but now i'm gonna go Pull these ones up, and then you can quickly swap in and out. It looks like like in in the middle of a battle. That I haven't experienced that. I don't have enough characters yet. I only have a team of six at the moment, oh, okay. so I haven't gotten to 
get more than six yet, so I haven't seen what that is. But I just looking through it, there is an option option to build multiple parties. I just yeah, I haven't got to experience it all. But I have like three different warrior characters, but one's more like seems to be more of an elemental focus. So like as she'll level up, she goes into being what's called a rune knight, and she gets some more elemental powers. Whereas Aldo and my favorite character so far, Myron, just because I'm slain by her Scottish accent, they both go down the soldier path, and they're pretty great. I just hear it, and I just can't not think of Leona. And I was just like, now I just want Leona to fight things with swords. It's great. Got a weird android from the future that literally, like, flips its ponytails. Like, they're, like they like, helicopter around just when it's idling. It's really funny to watch. But she's... I support this. Right? But she's a cleric with a big, huge hammer, so she goes into this other kind of path whereas i have another cleric that goes more of a wizard path and then eventually be kind of comes a druid so it, it, there seems to be a lot of depth in like at least the character classes and not everyone is simply just unlock attributes and then just keep unlocking until you get to the maximum class there's a couple of them that seem to have you uh, you have to unlock a certain quest to unlock their final class level and there's other ones where you have to find certain items to unlock it so they've made it that yeah the party's and building is definitely like the the mainstay of the game and going to be the most fascinating part of it all with how to get all these different kind of characters to unlock but i like that they didn't just make it all samey so as far as that goes yeah the story is just seems to be a pretty straightforward story of boy's sister is stolen and he has to adventure through time to figure out where she went and why things are changing (laughs) that classic tale And and it has a gotcha system that is Probably not as obnoxious as other gacha systems on the mobile RPG. No, uh, like getting one character costs you a hundred uh, of the uh, unobtainium, for lack of a better term, right now. Chronos. Unobtainium. <laughs> Chronos. There we go. I just couldn't think of the name of what the the, the currency is called. So it costs a hundred Chronos just to get like one character, or it costs a thousand to get ten all at once. Which uh, I think all that does is just increase like your chances of getting rarer ones. If you buy in bulk, so to speak. So there's a benefit to saving up, but you can just unlock them as you go and just have enough. And you get experience and level up pretty quickly. The ones in the reserves level up a little slower, but they still get experience as well. And then, yeah, every level gives you an attribute point to pump into them and keep going. You also get a lot of uh, the Kronos from these uh, awards. So like, oh, you killed your first goblin. Here's 10 Kronos. You killed 10 goblins. Here's 10 more. You beat 100 battles. Filling out the achievement list. Are there daily uh, goals and achievements as well? There hasn't seemed to be yet, but there is a daily inbox where you get this adorable little cat that finds you wherever you are. And he wears a little, like, mail cap. And he gives you a letter. And that usually is your daily item. So there were, so right now it's just been giving us more Chronos. There was a pre-registration campaign which unlocked this character with dubious voice acting, uh, but she is still a right character. I just can't stand by one of her battle cries. It just it's nah, it's cringeworthy. But otherwise, is it now bear my Arctic blast levels of cringe? Uh, oh, I've heard of that one, but I don't quite know all the context of it. I need to look that up. Derek would quote that one a lot. Force three, I think. I want to say I don't know exactly. Oh yeah, Switch Force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's essentially like it seems like she was specifically directed to make the the expression sound orgasmic plus the context oh. of the word. I hate oh. that. And it's just like really, like otherwise she seems fine. And but like the fact that she's also this like badass rune knight, but she also seems to be some sort of like princess thing. And there's a whole quest for her at some point. So it just it just doesn't. Eh, I don't like it. <laughs> She's a very cool character, but that part just bothers me. But can you mute voices? Or are you stuck with them? Hmm, that is a good question. Actually, I haven't uh, looked up those settings. Yes, the voices can be muted. Okay. 
So you can do that. Yeah, you can break all that down. So if you don't like it, then there you go. I just, I'm not willing to part with my beloved Scottish Myron. Because <laughs> otherwise, everybody else is pretty standard. I have this robot Santamari. He doesn't say anything. That's pretty rad. Um, and definitely, like, having this... I'm just... That's one thing I find is interesting, is you build your party at the get-go, and you have, like, your your party in the game as well. So as you meet characters in the game who join your party, that's basically who's there for the story. But then when you go into battle, all your other crew joins in. So, like... And they run around with you on the map. But no one ever commentates. Like, when you're back in Medieval Ages, no one's just like, never seen that weird tin man before. So that seems a little strange as far as that regard goes but i get it it's just it's part of the gacha system they couldn't really plan on who's going to have what and build a scenario for all that you call so... that the path traveler syndrome <laughs> xenoblade 2 syndrome i still need to play xenoblade 2 i need to play both of those uh, agreed i need to play xenoblade chronicles 2 as well I'm assuming that's what we're talking about right yes yeah, yeah, yeah I, have I, a, I have a 2017 2018 pile of rpgs that's been waylaid by podcasts and monster hunter and all that jazz yeah, I bought I bought Rob's copy of Xenoblade 2 a year ago, and I still haven't played it. <laughs> Are you sure Rob didn't like Xenoblade? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Rob has an even lower tolerance for anime bullshit than I do, and I have and, and I consider myself to be a bit of a lightweight. And but you love Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> Kingdom Hearts is Disney anime bullshit. They sort of balance each other. <laughs> The the the, the Namuraness of it all is tempered by the fact that I can hang out with Woody and Buzz Lightyear. Hmm. That's that's a fair uh, balance, I would actually argue. Uh, less zippers for Woody and Alan, uh, Woody and Woody and Tim Allen. There we go. That's where I'm going. They'll they'll add zippers. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, I want to see Numerai's like Buzz Lightyear. That'd be so weird. He like zips into his suit with giant zippers and uh, anyways. I have arrived. This is my final form. <laughs> belts and belts and zippers. Belts on belts. Zippers belts. on belts and belts on zippers. <laughs> his final form, then he unzips his back and then the wings pop out. Ugh. <laughs> and, and the and wings the are made from millions of little zippers. <laughs> We're all too much. Why their games take so long, because they have to animate each individual zipper. And make them functional. Ugh. That's gonna be the next selling point. Fully functional zippers. And his new theme song is called One Winged Light Year. That being said, that's a great segue, but to finish up my thoughts, um, yeah, it's a great looking game, though. It, it 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 looks really nice. I find some of the character animations themselves, because the way they they built them, is, they're kind of almost like little paper dolls in a sense. So movement can be a little stilted for them, but the character designs themselves are really nice. They did a really great meshing of kind of like chibi with a more um, standard anime style, so... While they're a little like chibi in their their form and their figure, they still are fully detailed and aren't like completely made to be cutesy looking. So I just think it looks really neat, and they bust out their weapons and wail on people. Combat's pretty standard. The the they aren't super flashy in terms of like the animations and the moves and stuff, but it's really really neat. But I'm also in the earlier level, so I don't know if maybe as I get bigger and better skills down the line, if I'll get those epic like jump into space and everything swirls around them and smash a moon down on somebody or something. So who knows with these kind of things. But if you like uh, Chrono Trigger, Chrono Cross, and a lot of JRPGs from yore, you're definitely going to enjoy this game. It's free to play, and it has a super easy barrier of entry, so I definitely recommend it to anyone who's got any kind of a powerful phone these days. It'll handle it just fine, and you can spend a good few hours in bed playing it and get lost quite easily, speaking from experience. <laughs> but uh, with all that uh, Kingdom Hearts talk, uh, we can get to the, the big reveal of what just came out, Kingdom Hearts 3.
dropped. It's finally here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Only took 14 years since Kingdom Hearts 2 came back in December 2005. We finally wrap up the story here uh, as of January 29th, and Peter's been playing it. Yep, I have, as the the, the, the website's resident Kingdom Hearts super fan. What makes you say that? <laughs> oh, God, I need to compose myself. Um, so, Kingdom Hearts 3 is the most Kingdom Hearts has ever Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> Is it the Dark Souls of Kingdom Hearts, though? Within the first half hour of the game, you'll watch the intro cutscenes. Sora, Donald, and Goofy are getting ready to go on a great adventure. You know, everything seems all hunky-dory. Screen fades to black, and the words, Kingdom Hearts 2.9. 2.9. Wait, really? Screen. Yep. And that was real? And Roman we... numeral 2 and a point Arabic numeral 9. It was beautiful. And what? Begins of fanboys dropped through their knees and screamed, Namura! So what does that mean for us as Kingdom Hearts fans and it's consumers? Just, it's, it's literally just the prologue section. The, 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 the Kingdom Hearts 3 title drops after the first word. <laughs> but, um, it's, it's like Namura, because, you know, as we know, there have been numerous Kingdom Hearts uh, sidequels and prequels and spinoffs and what all that since the release of 2. And uh, there have been multiple collections of these games released on PlayStation 4 to help make it a little bit more accessible for people to get into one of which was called 2.8, Final Chapter Prologue. This is a series of words arranged in a sequence. Um, <laughs> Accurate. Because the game, because 2.8 included a demo called 0.2, and what does that add up to? Three! But it's, but honestly, honestly, Kingdom Hearts, Kingdom Hearts is going to Kingdom Hearts. The story is just about what you'd expect. If you're like me and you're a fan of this series and you've been waiting to see these character arcs resolved, to see kind of where it all goes, it's this is this is everything we've been waiting for. It's really it's really good. It's really it's going to there's going to be good emotional payoff. It does leave some threads open for future installments. I'm not going to say anything else other than that. Not everything is tied up neat at the end, but it wouldn't be Kingdom Hearts if it wasn't dangling some kind of cryptic J.J. Abrams mystery box thing in your face. So uh, I'm kind of used to this by now. On the game itself, though, um, the first thing that you'll notice playing Kingdom Hearts is that it is gorgeous. Like, oh my god, this game. Square switched over to the Unreal Engine 4 for this uh for this game they've been trying and failing to make their own game engine for years what with crystal tools for final fantasy 13 and its spinoffs to um luminous engine for 15 and neither of which was very successful developing these engines alongside the games meant the developers were working with unfamiliar tools they were ballooning development costs they really end and as a result and whereas as a result with three not only does the game run smooth as butter i i've had a couple points where the frame rate drops but it's nowhere nowhere near as egregious as something like 15 but the animations are just incredible the disney worlds are so wonderful and filled with life they look like they've been ripped straight out of their movies the toy story characters for example you go to the world you go to tangled you go to frozen it's just a beautiful looking game sora donald the goofy all the other characters look wonderful they really do a a good job of making the style of everything kind of gel together in a way like back on ps2 there was a pirates of the caribbean world and it looked like really weird having like kind of 
low poly but realistically proportioned Johnny Depp next to anime boy Sora. Yeah. <laughs> and now now that the game is like a graphical powerhouse, it just looks amazing and I'm actually okay with it now. It's the music is is phenomenal. Shimamura returns along with a host of other guest composers including I think they pulled Ishimoto out of retirement for a couple songs, so that's been fantastic to listen to. And just the spectacle of it all, like, right out of the gate, the tutorial fight is kind of a riff on um, Kingdom Hearts 1's tutorial where you have to make a few decisions about, like, which do you choose to, which 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 part of yourself do you accept? Which part of yourself do you give up? And this will affect minute stat changes throughout the game. But then you fight the first boss from Kingdom Hearts 1, except now it's, like, made of water. Like, its whole body is, like, glistening, and it animates and moves like water, and it's, like, it's just beautiful looking. I can't get over how good of impression it makes. Bizarre. Yeah, it is. It is, it is really excellent. The, the voice acting on display is really good a lot of the most of the old voice actors return with the unfortunate exception of uh leonard nimoy because he passed away mm. and the sound the sound alike for master xehanort is not good <laughs> unfortunately but um most of the other actors are doing a heck of a job the voice direction seems to be a lot stronger in this one i really i especially like hearing the the disney they got um john ratzenberger ha- ham and rex have their same voice act the, oh, so the Wallace, Wallace, Wallace Shawn and John Ratzenberger. Yep. Yep, they're both back. Jim Inconceivable. Hanks. Inconceivable. Yep, they're great, and they're doing a great job. Jim Hanks is is the voice of Woody, and it does he does a very good job, you know, um, filling in for his brother. Um, the guy who they got doing Buzz Lightyear is doing a pretty good Tim Allen impression. Most of the cast of Tangled and Frozen reprise their roles. And everyone's All endearing. Right. Yeah, it's just, it's, just, it's just endearing. From a visual, audio-visual presentation, Kingdom Hearts is... Kingdom Hearts 3 is practically immaculate. Like, it is just a sight to behold constantly. This is this is like a new bar has been set, and I hope Square keeps using Unreal Engine to make more, more of their games, because they're getting better results out of this. Well, that's pretty fantastic. And if I may ask the possible elephant in the room question of, we waited a long time for the next Final Fantasy, and we got that, and we've talked about it a lot on the podcast, about how it went. So Kingdom Hearts 3, was it worth the 14 years waiting for it? Yes, yes this is, un- unlike unlike 15, which I enjoyed, but was still released in a very un- incomplete state and had to be patched after the fact. There are a couple things about 3 that are a little disappointing. Um, I'll just get my quick hits out of the way. There is no critical difficulty, the highest difficulty setting from the other games. It caps at crowd mode, so people think they're probably going to patch it in later, possibly as DLC, because we know that there's DLC coming. And the Final Fantasy characters, there really aren't any. There isn't much of a Final Fantasy presence in this game. Yeah, yeah, other than the Moogles as the shopkeepers, there's no... Which is a kind of looking forward to seeing, like, I don't know, maybe Lightning or Noctis or... Like have a you have a a, a cooking mini game with um Remy from Ratatouille, and I'm sorry, but it is a crime that Ignis is not helping out in this kitchen. <laughs> no kidding, that's missed opportunity. It's the same mechanic. You collect ingredients, you make recipes, and they give you stat buffs. <laughs> it like, seems I, like his jam. I want yeah. to be coming up with new recipes. Ignis and Remy not being a team, and it, it seems like a missed opportunity. Like like Remy is a very excellent choice for the. Uh, to, to be your, um, you know, cartoon chef, but yeah, it, it should have been Ignis and Remy. Yeah, which honestly, and honestly, um, I feel like there is a bit of there are parts of Kingdom Hearts three that feel like 
Nomura is, this is me completely speculating. I don't have anything to back this up. I think he's still a little salty about Versus 13. Mm. Because there is a very prominent in-joke slash reference in the Toy Story world to a fake video game that Rex thinks Sora is from that is basically a straight-up rip-off of the Versus 13 trailers, and it is very much Nomura being like, could have been me, guys. And honestly, playing 3 has made me excited for the Final Fantasy VII remake in ways that I can't even express, because this game is so polished and so wonderful and so full of just stuff to do. The combat is so... The combat is not as precise or as technical as Kingdom Hearts 2's is, but it makes up for it with flair and spectacle and just the amount of options you have. Like, it's just fun to play. You have so many returning mechanics from past Kingdom Hearts games. Shot locks from Birth by Sleep are back. You can, so you can pause the action to lock on to your enemy for a big projectile attack. The big new mechanic is that Sora can equip up to three Keyblades at once and cycle through them with a tap of the D-pad. And each Keyblade, as you land attacks on enemies, the Keyblades transform and power up and have completely different play styles. So one of them turns into a pair of crossbows that fire magic bolts. That's snazzy. Three into my Kingdom Hearts three. Yeah, which which later morphs into a giant like screw you magic cannon. One of them morphs into a hammer, into a hammer and a drill arm. One of them turn the Hercules one turns into a giant shield, and then later into a chariot, lightning. Um, That's insane. It is the and, and it, the, the, this, there are so many options. There are team up attacks with every party member that can be triggered with the press of a button. That, that are these big flashy cinematic attacks. You have one of the new mechanics is called attraction flow, where you will literally materialize a ride from Disneyland or Disney World, like Splash Mountain, <laughs> to attack enemies. Like literally, a giant pirate ship boat ride will appear and it will spin in place and hit enemies for you. So it's like a summon, but you're summoning a, an attraction. It's like it's it is like that, and summons are back too. They're they're called links in this game, and they have con context sensitive little mini games. But you can summon Wreck It Ralph or Ariel nice. or other um, other summons, uh, other other characters from past Kingdom Hearts games like the Dream Eaters show up. It's just there can is you so power line from a Goofy movie. I don't think so. I no. wish. No. Okay. Would have bought ah. that game instantly if that was a yes, but I, I, I wasn't optimistic. Well, to be fair, let it go. That. Let yeah, it go. It, with if, it, if they replace Let It Go with Eye to Eye, and you can just summon Powerline on stage and start doing the perfect cast, then that's a perfect video game. Oh. Let, let It Go is in the game in its entirety. I should warn you. Yeah, <laughs> warn, warn. Is it, is it is it the Japanese version of Let It Go that's in that um, Taiko drum game? No, it's basically just the entire the entire right. scene from the movie rendered. Oh, uh, the, the, yeah. the one the one with Adele Nazim. I got gotcha. you. Yep, she's doing she's she's back as the voice of Elsa. So that, that was I know her name is Adina Men. Yeah, I was gonna say that, that, that was a bad joke from when John Travolta called her Adele Nazim. Thank you. That's where that came from. I was like, I know his. Uh, yeah. I know who I know who Dina Menzel is. I have the the Rent and the Wicked soundtracks on this computer. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's uh, unfortunate because like Let It Go is not a bad song, but it just got so played oh. out, and like 
she sounds great singing it, but yeah, it just, it just got done. The whole movie got played out. Like it, yeah. it's, it, I think it's a good anime. I think Frozen is a good movie. I don't think that that should be a controversial opinion, but it got so overplayed that a lot of people justifiably hate it. Yeah. Especially if they're the parents or uncles or aunts of small children. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad Gwen skipped that somehow, so I don't share it, but I understand it. Right, exactly. You missed you missed the timing of that Frozen window. Just barely. Apparently, yeah. I could go on. I'm like over the moon about this game. It's got its flaws. Um, there are things that obviously there's always for game projects that have been in the works this long. There's always expectations that aren't going to be met. Mm. Things that we could they could have done that they didn't. Again, I'm kind of bummed about the lack of Final Fantasy characters. But is there a lack of gummy ships? Oh, the, oh, I, oh! I forgot to talk about gummy ships. Um, <laughs> How could you? Gummy ships are actually great in this. I they finally got it right. It's um. They basically you can still customize your little ship, and doing so is is better than ever. It's it's very intuitive, very easy to just put little blocks together and build your ship. And you can put funny stickers and decals, or make a giant flying toilet. I've seen people do that. It's funny. <laughs> but um, once you do, it plops you into a semi-open space sim where you fly around on a com- you're completely free, um, horizontally, vertically all around you, shooting asteroids, finding hidden little planetoids for treasure chests, um, and encountering enemy ships, which takes you to a separate screen for a shim-up section like in Kingdom Hearts 2. So it turns into No Man's Sky. If it has six axes of movement, it almost sounds like Homeworld or something. Kind of like that. I don't think, I don't think it has a... Yeah, it's like, it kind of, kind of is like that. And it's just, it's just a lot more fun. And, and if you want to just skip straight to the worlds and not mess with it, there are these little pathways you can fly into that'll basically just speed you through it. But the gummy ship section in general is just a lot more fleshed out and feels like something you're actually exploring and engaging with. Very cool. There's even, I already know, I, I'm not gonna, again, I'm not going to say anything else other than I know that this exists, but there is a secret gummy ship boss, and it's a reference to a past Square game. That's satisfying. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Um, um, there's only one like super boss in the game. It's a post-game unlock, and it's not really anything special, but it's still a cool, challenging fight. It's just... It's not like Sephiroth is not in this game. I'm sorry. <laughs> so far, I mean, I'm wondering if so all this, like you know, super bosses and a lot of the um, the Final Fantasy fan service will come from DLC. Now that we're in that age with this franchise, wonder because they've done a Final Mix release for all of the mainline Kingdom Hearts games, and now that we're in the DLC age, I think it would be foolish of them not to take advantage of that. And I can't imagine there aren't, there isn't stuff on the cutting room floor they could develop further with a game like this. And there is, they just patched in the secret movie um, that you unlocked for beating the game with a right. certain collection of, there are these little Mickey Mouse emblems hidden around the world that you can take pictures of. And they are very, very deviously hidden. I should mention some of these are like little environmental details that technically form a Mickey Mouse shape that you have to be like really on the lookout for well it's funny uh, that you mentioned that my fiance Annette worked on a Disney film a few years back and that's a thing they do in physical Disney films if you go back and look that they they hide Mickey Mouse symbols throughout the film and so I'm wondering yeah if that was just a carryover from just Disney needing to keep their brand thing apparent could very well be but there there are over 90 Mickey emblems in the game and you have to collect a percentage of them to unlock the secret ending that scales with what difficulty you're playing on. So if you're playing on easy, you got to get all 90 to get the secret ending. Oh, that makes sense. We don't know what the percentage is for the other two difficulties yet. But I, I did watch the secret movie because I'm a, I'm a sheep and I don't care about the spoilers at this point. Like it's, out. <laughs> it, it's in my hands. Just tell me everything. Um, it's cool. And 
also and also connects into that weird versus 13 easter egg thing i was talking about earlier i don't again i don't want to say it's hard to contain myself here i don't want to say give up more but it is it raises some very tantalizing questions about what they're gonna do next interesting because we yeah i'm it, i'm I'm, ex- I'm just i'm excited well they've, they've definitely been building up good faith as a company over the past few years and this is going to continue that strong drive for them so hopefully yeah we start seeing more stuff from the big end of things and then of course more stuff that surprised them like octopath like square is definitely on a good trajectory if they keep managing the company the way they are i'd say for sure i think if they keep releasing games that are of this quality um and maybe stop fussing around with trying to make new technology i think they're gonna be on a better track i appreciate them wanting to try really to keep all the money in-house i'm sure but at the same time it's like the engine's there it works use it <laughs> yeah exactly uh what's your favorite world peter oh god that's hard Pro- probably toy bot the toy story world it's a it's basically a big multi-tiered toy store where you can kill at giant robots and punch hearts in the face ain't nothing wrong with that yep it, it's a lot of fun and the music the, the main the music is a is a um a a vocal list orchestra version of you got a friend in me oh perfect that sounds really nice. Slow C, you've been doing some Kingdom Hearts stuff recently. Are you going to jump in on this one now? or? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has many games to go. Yeah, that was um, an easy answer for him. Right? Um, I recently finished Kingdom Hearts 1 for the first time a few weeks ago, and uh, Peter and I were... Uh, Peter joined me on my journey finishing that, finally. But I think, uh, and I'm more intrigued by Kingdom Hearts than I ever have been in the past, oh, geez, 17 years? <laughs> but, right. yeah, but I'm not going to rush out and get three. If anything, I'm, I, would, I would probably try dipping my toe into two or birth by sleep. And if I continue to be interested, I'll make my way to three. But I'm absolutely no guarantees. But I, yeah. but I did, I, I did beat the first one for the first time finally, and it was very fun playing through it and then discussing with it on a different podcast. For sure, there is a little memory archive feature they added in that that recaps the story of all the games, which is a neat touch. But I don't think it holds a candle to actually playing them. Yeah, uh, Caitlin, playing through the motion comic at the beginning of Mass Effect Two is not the same as playing Mass Effect One. Agree? Disagree? It's you shouldn't. Never do that. <laughs> right. it's, it's yeah, awful. exactly. So don't just read the memory archive and try to be lost. Are you a Kingdom Hearts fan, Caitlin? I played... I was when the first game came out. I really liked that. And then I guess I just never kept up with it. And now it's at this point where it's really intimidating to think about trying to go... Back in, even just to replay from the beginning because of all of the side games and the story and whatnot. Like, I I eventually want to get the um, the total collection that has everything up that's to... The, that's um, the story, the story so far is, edition, yeah. which I think is only in North America, but does seem like a like a good total package for... I think it's, I think it's PS4 only? It's, it's 40 bucks for all of it. Yeah, so nice. eventually I'll get around to it, but I'm not super, like, you know need to do it now. Yeah. I mean, Kingdom Hearts has always kind of just been this thing that people like it. It's cool. I like the idea of it. I like the, the merging of the worlds. That's always been my favorite part of 
uh, when I when I played the first game and the series at large, but I don't necessarily feel like the burning need to go in and must play Kingdom Hearts, must beat some heartless and restore some hearts and darkness, best friends with hearts, Donald light. and Goofy. Light darkness hearts friendship. Repeat. By our by, by our powers combined, we form Kingdom <laughs> <laughs> Hearts. <laughs> Wait, are you, are you saying you can combine forms for something bigger, like a giant robot? <laughs> Interesting. And there are giant robots. There is a big Hero 6 world. I love... Oh, oh that's my cool. god. I, if there's anything that makes me want to play the game, it might be Big Hero 6 and Tangled being it. Okay. Those are two of my can favorite I, animated movies. The premise of the Big Hero 6 world is that it takes place after the movie, and the original Baymax from the movie that was lost at the end of it is now a Heartless that got corrupted and you have to save it. Oh no! Well, so that, that's, sort of, that's sort of how Heartless work, and they, they interpret him going into that weird dimension as, as sort of entering the darkness. Yeah, that makes sense, though. Basically, yeah, they do something similar in the Toy Story world, too, which they, they actually do a way better job of mixing the, the Disney stuff and the Kingdom Hearts nonsense into um, something a little more coherent in the Disney worlds. Like, they actually play a role in the story that's a bit more interesting and it has been in some of the side games where it's just kind of there and they're just going through one of the movies um for the most part i should say because the frozen world is just this is frozen we're gonna do frozen <laughs> as far as Let i'm it. concerned the series peaked when jack skellington was trying to make the heartless dance <laughs> that's i'm sad i missed that i've only played two myself so i don't know if i'll ever get back through them all but it's just been and that one jack skellington is is just on his santa claus kit yeah if that's all I recall, I don't remember him trying to make them dance, so that must have been the first. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, we had we discussed this on uh, Retro Encounter, but um, in Kingdom Hearts 1, sometimes the the Disney stories exist during the movie or before the, or before the movie. Like, in, uh, he, Jack Skellington has not discovered Christmas in Kingdom Hearts 1. But Kingdom Hearts 2, uh, Peter, please correct me if I'm wrong, they sort of more go along with the plot of the of the corresponding film most of the time. Yeah, in two, you go to Halloween Town and Christmas Town, and Jack is trying to do the the Christmas thing. Yeah, that sounds right. In Kingdom Hearts One, he Jack Skellington thought the Heartless were adorable, and he wanted to make them dance for next year's Halloween. <laughs> Which I mean, fair. <laughs> they fit in. It, it's it's a very Jack Skellington move, and I approve. Right. You can take you can take selfies with Heartless in this game. They will stop and pose. That's pretty good. <laughs> Well, we have uh, Zach, who's on uh, the review of that coming up, so expect that to hit the site sometime in the next week or so, I'm hoping. Don't know how much of a beast this game is and how long it will take him, but we have a review coming. Look forward to it. Uh, thank you, Peter, for your thoughts on that. So, last but not least, uh, before the holidays, we got a question came in from uh, Kaze Daizaman from Discord, who said that he's a big fan of the show, big fan of both podcasts, and had a question for us. But we weren't able to fit it into the Game of the Year award just cause, or show, award show because there was just so much to talk about on that show. And I told him we'd get it in on this one. So he wanted to know, which uh, we can all definitely answer this, does playing a game for review change your level of enjoyment? Something I hadn't really thought of much myself. So take it away, team. I'm going to go with yes. Um, I think for me, at least, I, I find myself thinking more critically of things than if I was just playing them casually. Though I also, admittedly, in my experience with the site, um, I haven't written anything that was on a tight deadline, so it's not like I've had to like push through something to get through it. It's always has been on my own time. 
I haven't written very many reviews for the site, but at least twice I was playing a review for a deadline, and that, and and, and also this is sort of similar when I try to when I'm playing a game for the podcast, and I uh, and I need to finish before recording time. I think it does affect my enjoyment of the game just because I r- rush certain areas that I might have taken more time on, and uh, like Peter said, I might think of something more critically, and I'm trying like if I'm. Instead of just enjoying a battle system or strategizing during a battle system, I'm thinking of how I would write about that battle system, <laughs> and that uh, and that changes my perspective a little bit. But uh, but deadlines are what affect me the most. Yeah, I would I would concur with both of those. I think that the uh, especially when it's a a big new release, I've done a few of those, and where we we try to have them you know out as soon as possible. So. There's always that that thought in the back of my mind, especially when you're doing like you're just exploring, or you're doing side content. Like you, you want to explore, you want to do some side content so you can talk about this. But there's always this thing in the back of my head. Well, I shouldn't let myself do all of it. I should try some of it and then stick to the main story so that I can finish faster. And it's not necessarily how I would play if I weren't playing for review. I don't. I'm not a completionist by any measure, but I. You throw a bunch of side quests at me, as long as they're not like horribly dull experiences, I'll probably try to do most of them before I, you know, move the plot to a different area. And I have to kind of reel myself back from that when I'm playing for a review, because uh, otherwise it might take me a lot longer and I don't necessarily need to experience every bit of content to write a review. It's always kind of in the back of my mind is, I need to. I need to play the main game, the main story. I need to obviously do combat and you know see graphics and whatnot. And I need to experience some of the main points of this game. But what what is in there that I don't necessarily need to see, either a lot of or don't really need to to even think or touch if I you know to to really give a, a review or a, an right. overview of uh, of the game. So that's always kind of that kind of changes like how I might strategize especially like in open world games where you yeah. have the freedom to do a lot of different things that's where you really have to kind of cater your experience i would say too yeah to give them the best assessment of all the different facets but yeah not get sucked in yeah like assassin's creed odyssey recently <laughs> that's a pretty big open world experience and i did a little bit of mostly everything but i i definitely tried to to hold back on doing like absolutely everything just because it would have taken me probably twice as long to get the review out if I had done it that way. Well yeah and let alone playing as both characters on top of that if you had chosen that route as well. Yeah I mean like in an ideal world I would have liked to have played through at least a good chunk of the game a second time to sort of get a feel for for Alexios because I played as Cassandra and that just that wasn't possible so yeah not in the time frame we wanted to turn it around playing through review doesn't mean that i don't enjoy the game i still really like it and i say so in my review that you know i enjoyed it but it it puts a little bit of added pressure on top so it's something that i think about when we have a game that uh, it, it my for me at least i'm not like necessarily reviews isn't the only thing i do so i tend to only pop in when other people are available or aren't interested so there's that and I try to be conscious like if I take something that is dense and big do I really think that I can get through this even trying to focus on the main story do I really think I can get through this in like a, a decent amount of time that's that's another 
consideration that I have to think about is like, I had to do this for the site, I have to do what's best for the site, and that means, do I really think I can put this out there in a, you know, uh, a good amount of time? Sometimes I can't, sometimes they're games I know, you know, I would try my darndest, but I just know it would take me a lot longer to do this than someone else, so I, I'm not going to do that. And it would probably, in that kind of that kind of game, it would probably make my experience a little bit worse because I would be so like stressed about, oh crap, I'm taking too much time. And I would say it's similar for me for the few reviews I've done. I've only done one that's been on a time restraint, so I definitely felt that pressure to want to get through things. Thankfully, it was a pretty small, condensed experience, so I didn't feel like I was missing out much in Little Dragon's Cafe about not exploring a lot of the, the minutiae of it all. I got through it pretty quick, but I definitely got to a point where the deadline was kind of looming, and I just wanted to plow through story beats, and I basically found out that I could get through story periods a lot faster at the sacrifice of like my restaurant's um, reviews, basically, but it really had no impact on the overall quality of the game or how my ending was going to be or whatever. I just basically was like going to sleep and finishing story beats and failing the day, quote-unquote, in the restaurant, but it was still getting me through the story to the end of the game, so that definitely changed probably the pacing I would have tackled that game at myself or how my daughter would have, but overall I still enjoyed it, so I would say it's the same for me. But yeah, it's a good question that I wouldn't have considered. I was initially thinking like, oh, whatever, it's, I don't think about it at all, but once you all started saying that, like, no, yeah, you do get a little more critical when you start playing these things and looking a little more deeply at each detail. In, uh, in 2017, I reviewed one of the South Park RPGs, and I, we got the code really late, and we tried to, and I did I did manage to get it out the same day. Uh, I think the, the the same day the game came out, but I think the I missed the embargo date was the day before, so I missed embargo by one day. But I basically played it the entire game in one weekend. It was not really recommended. I think I would have done things differently and found more collectibles and secrets if I had been playing it on my own pace. But I got the. Uh, Sometimes, even though we're a website of volunteers, we try to be as professional as possible. And, and, and getting those reviews out in a timely manner is a, a part of just, you know, being a semi-professional site. And sometimes it means you play in a, a medium-sized RPG in a single weekend. Yeah. It's also, part of it has to do, like, how far in advance, if at all, we get a review copy. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes we've had copies come in very generously, and I can imagine that uh, the people doing the reviews for those games that they could, by and large, you know, play at their normal pace because we got them so far in advance of uh, the embargo. And then sometimes we get games like a week before the release or a couple days before embargo. Sometimes we get them after the games come out, or sometimes it's because we're just we picked the game up ourselves and bought them ourselves yeah. and playing them for review. And you know, it's just every every publisher is different with regards to when they send out review copies and what their priority is, and that's the way the whole thing works. And we got to work with it with what we got, but it does you know having more time before like we could even think about publishing a review definitely relieves some of the pressure, I think, and and is a bit more enjoyable just as a pure experience for 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 uh, for us, if I may if I may speak for. Us as a whole. That's fair to say. <laughs> but that, uh, yeah, that was a solid question. It's definitely something to like consider, especially if you might be asking this also from a point of view of getting into game review himself. So yeah, if you're thinking of getting into it, definitely expect to come at it from a more critical eye. I think it's the same for 
for, I guess, any craft or art, once you get involved on a more deeper critical level of it, you definitely, like, take a second glance, like, for myself with filmmaking. I, I definitely am a lot more critical of some films now because of my involvement and how I know things work behind the scenes, and you definitely catch yourself having moments of just like, oh, I wonder how they did that, or, oh, I think they could have done that better, and st stupid stuff like that, that really is just like, just enjoy the dang movie. <laughs> you know, it can be hard sometimes. But, uh, yeah, Kaze, thank you so much for that question. I'm glad we got to it, and, and uh, I thank you all for being so willing to answer it. On that note, I think that brings us to uh, the ending of episode 158. And we got through it, team. Thank you so much for, for helping me do this together. You can reach us, as always, on Twitter at RPGFan.com. And you can email us at podcast at RPGFan.com to give us any feedback or questions. Throw them at us on the Discord. Wherever you want to talk to us, you can find us. I, myself, I'm at uh, Greg Delmage on Twitter. I didn't mention that at the beginning. But from all of us, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode, and go check out Retro Encounter while I'm here to plug it.